Hi, I'm Ryan, and welcome to Joni Jams, a podcast going album by album through Joni Mitchell's entire discography. Today, I'll be reviewing Joni's 2002 album, Travelogue. Yes, Travelogue. I gave it such a very exciting entrance right there. Travelogue to a very unknown album, I would say, for a lot of people that are not super aware of Joni. Well, if they're only aware, you know, of some of her discography, I would say Travelogue is definitely not up there with the uh, classically known Joni Mitchell albums, probably because this album did not chart on Billboard. (laughs) It is actually the only Joni Mitchell album to not chart on Billboard, I think, of her, like, studio main albums. And, uh, yeah, it was very low. I think it was her lowest charting of all time, actually. So uh, that's unfortunate. But you know what? It's okay. People were just sleeping on this album. That's why. Uh interesting kind of background on my relationship with Travelogue, because I'm sure everyone is so curious, um, is that this is actually one of, I say this all the time for other albums, but it's true for this as well. When I was first getting into Joni Mitchell, Travelogue was an album that I was drawn to. And a lot of the first versions of songs that I heard of the ones on this album are from the Travelogue version. So like the first version I heard of Judgment of the Moon and the Stars was on this album or, uh, I think, I'm trying to think of another one. Uh, I think Otis and Ar- Marlena was, I first heard on Travelogue. Um, there's a lot of them. A lot of the Turbulent Indigo ones. Like, I got into this album for some reason because, I think it's because I like the way that the music sounds on here. It's so, like, epic and cinematic. And I love anything that's that epic and cinematic. I love, I mean, I've always liked musicals, I guess. That's probably a part of it. And I like older music this has kind of that same vibe of both sides now because really it's a continuation of both sides now where it's like that symphonic sound and feeling on top of the music and here we have instead of Joni doing kind of old standards we have Joni just picking her old songs and putting them together on top of this symphonic orchestration so that's kind of where this album's starting off point was I guess the reason that she probably did this album, if I had to think, one, because she wanted to end her contract, because this album was supposed to be her retirement album again. I know I had said that with Taming the Tiger, but uh, here we are. Joni once again is saying, no, I'm going to retire after this one, you guys. Trust me. And uh, we all know that that really doesn't work because in, I think, what, five years she releases another album. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, <laughs> instead, this so this is was supposed to be, you know, the final album and to complete the contract. And I thought, I think she thought, well, what better way to end than to kind of revisit my older material and people, I think really liked the way she did both sides now and a case of you on the album, both sides now released, I think it was two, two years prior. So kind of taking off people's kind of positive reaction to those ones. I think she was like, okay, I think people will like if I do some of my own work, fully like all of my own work on the same sort of style, you know, having the symphony. I think she used the exact same um, orchestra. Like, I don't know if it was all the same people, but like from the same place, like, so she got kind of similar to that. I know that Wayne Shorter is on here. Brian Blade is on here. Herbie's back. So she kind of got all of the same people. Vince Mendoza once again did the orchestral arrangements, um, which he actually won a Grammy for, for this album. Kind of unknown fact is that this album won him a Grammy for Best Instrumental Arrangement um, for Vocals for the song Woodstock on here, which you will hear that I am not so pleased that he won for that because I don't really know how I feel about the Woodstock redoing on here, but we'll get to it when we get to it. Um, <laughs> that seems to be today's phrase. Um, this album was critically... Not very well liked. Um, Critics did not seem to enjoy her voice on here, which is so weird because they liked her voice, like her mature voice on both sides now. But for some reason on here, they were like, no, your voice doesn't sound good. She sounds like she's a smoker. She sounds like this. She sounds like this. And a lot of it, I think, is because Joni, while recording this album, had a throat infection or was some sort of throat soreness or whatever to where it caused her to have a lot of like pain and trouble trying to sing a lot of these songs but you know I don't really think it's that bad I think that her voice sounds pretty good in actually a lot of these songs even though they're re kind of doings of older ones where her voice is a lot more clear I still like these versions a lot you'll see that there are some versions of the songs on here that I actually enjoy more than the versions on um 
the original albums. Um, so yeah, well, this album I was going to say, uh, was co-produced with Larry Klein as well. Allegedly. I know Joni would probably say it wasn't and he was just there, but it was produced with Larry Klein. And in the book where Joni and Larry kind of, cause travelogue came with like a little book on the inside. I have it, whatever. Um, there is kind of a free, a part where you give the credits and stuff. And usually at the end of every vinyl or CD, you'll see this area where it's like who you would like to thank. And Joni said for this one, this album is dedicated to my parents, Bill and Myrtle Anderson, who sent me off on this journey. How sweet. I love that. I love that. She's finally being nice with her parents. She's like, you know what? Me and my parents now have a good relationship. I've decided <laughs> because we know that through the years over the past God, 20 albums that we've... No, this is episode 20. So the past 17, 18 albums that we've gone over, sometimes parental relationships have been a little complex. So, you know, it's interesting. I can't really believe, honestly, that we're at this point. Like, that we are in the 2000s and we only have one other album after this. Like, it's very it's very emotional. I'm like, oh my gosh, Joni Jams is almost coming to a close. It's very, very sad, but... um. We won't try to think about it. We'll try to have a positive episode here because I like this album a lot. Because um, it's just not like crazily talked about, and I don't know. I wanna, I wanna discuss some of these new kind of re reimaginings or rearrangings of songs. Oh, I was also gonna say before I started talking about the songs is that there are allegedly other songs from her discography that she re-recorded, like for this album, that were not added to the final cut. Um, one of them being Coyote, which if you look up Joni Mitchell Coyote Travelogue, you will see a version of her, of her doing it live uh, with the orchestration like from this album. But it wasn't included on the fucking actual album, which I'm so upset about because it's so good. And ugh. so and there's apparently other ones as well that didn't make it. So hopefully one day if there's a if the archives make it to the 2000s that she's doing, that we will get to hear some of the uh, some of the new ones or some of like the, you know, other ones that she didn't include on the album. I'm surprised she didn't include Coyote, though. She fucking loves that song. But I guess there was already a lot of Hajira stuff on this album. So she was like, no, I'll... Sorry, my computer is yelling at me. No, I'll just, you know... I'll not include another Hajira one. So that's what she did, I guess. So now I think would be a good time to talk about the artwork of the album. There's not a lot of background because this album isn't very talked about. So that's <laughs> kind of why the background section is faster than usual. Um, the artwork on this album is once again... A cover art painted by Joni where she is shown in a frame. Oh, boring. Um, boring, boring. The old man is snoring. I don't really like these covers where it's like there's like a horizontal like rectangle of like a gradient background. And then right next to it is Joni's in a frame hanging on a wall. She did that on a Turbulent Indigo and Taming the Tiger. Like I just don't really find those to be very interesting covers. And I know like obviously Joni has been in the game for 30 years. Her cover skills were going to get like less and less over time as we will see the next album. She really messes up with the cover on that one. But I don't know. This cover is just not my favorite. I like the portrait that she does because it has like a smoky kind of laid back quality that the album has. And like, it's in this like gilded frame and obviously like this like gilded frame works with this sort of symphonic, almost like, there's there's some sort of Gilded Age vibe to some of the songs on here, uh, which we'll get to. But it, uh, like the golden frame works, but and the portrait's pretty and she's like smoking in it. But I don't know. It's never been super, super interesting to me. I wrote that Joni looks like she's hiding in the shadows like Blanche Dubois. Uh, <laughs> if anyone here knows Streetcar Named Desire, you know, like when she's like doesn't like to go in the light because it'll show that she's like not as young as she says. Anyways, whatever. That was just <laughs> something I was thinking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a okay covered. I don't really see how it relates to travelogue. I'm not really sure what, what it's like, how is this show travelogue? But you know, I'm kind of now realizing looking at it, she kind of looks like the girl with the pearl earring. Like she has like one singular little earring in and is like staring directly at the viewer. So maybe that was some inspiration. I don't know. <laughs> I say hesitantly. I'm not so sure. Um, but yeah, I don't, the, just like the background, there's not much to say. So I guess we'll just move into the songs because there is a lot. So this album has two sides. Each side has 11 songs. Uh, the first side is sort of, I think, her pick of just, she sort of just picks some ones that she would like to kind of mess around with, do some different things with. And then the second half is where she takes the more dramatic and kind of 
picks the real bangers of her discography to go back over and revisit. So we'll start with this first side, which is the more experimental kind of, let's take some unknown ones and give them a new life. And we begin with the most weird possible choice to open an album, the orchestral version of Otis and Marlena from Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. Marlena. <laughs> that is the way she opens this album. Just to, I, I, For some reason, whenever I hear her go, Marlena under foster grants, like it's the way she sings it is so funny. And uh, this track in general is just such a funny way to open this album. I have no clue. Well, I ha- I'll give you why I think she did, but if you were just to listen for the first time, you'd be like, what the fuck? Why did she choose this song? First of all, it's from an album that she is not extremely well known for besides some questionable things that happened on it. But second of all, this really is not the standout track from Don Reckless Daughter. If anything, I'm surprised she didn't do... Because this is the only Don Juan's Reckless Daughter track she does on here, which sad emoji about. But I'm surprised that she didn't do either, um, oh my god, either Paprika Plains again, but like kind of with a new symphony. Or I could see her, I could have seen her doing the Silky Veils of Ardor with the symphony, which I would have fucking loved. Oh my god, that would have been so good. Fingers crossed that's like one of the ones that she recorded and it just never came out. Because I fucking love that song and I would love to hear that like with her older kind of voice in the symphony but anyways that's not the song it's she picked Otis and Marlena for some reason (laughs) which is a song that I didn't really understand on my Don Juan's Reckless Daughter review so I don't really know if I'll have as much understanding of it now either but (laughs) we'll try so she turns this song into like a baroque and almost waltzing version of this song like it's it's in this like weird kind of time measure or this time yeah, time measurement. Is that how you time signature? There you go. That is like very waltzy for some reason. And the music for it is very like, it's very, you think of like an opera house and something like a, you could just, I don't know. This is the one, one of the ones where I feel like I'm in the Gilded Age and you just could see people like in a courtyard waltzing to this song. That's very kind of weird. It's such weird lyrics. I like this version better, by the way. I will say that this is, a song that I like better on Travelogue than I like on Domon's Reckless Daughter. Don't hate me. I just do. I was going to say that I think the reason why she chose this song to be the opener. And by the way, I'm not going to like explain every song's meaning because I mean, if you want to hear me explain them, just listen to the other episodes. <laughs> but uh, on here, I think she chose this because this album came out in 2002 And I don't want to be like that annoying person that's like 9-11 changed everything. But 9-11 had only happened a year, about a year before this. And I think that her message here is that people, and I don't know if like we had started going to war at that point. I don't know if George Bush had sent the troops over for that, you know, very dumb war. But uh, I don't want to get political, but this song works in that post 9-11 world in a way because it's this idea of like people are living these like frivolous lives like Otis and Marlena. They're all about, you know, consumer consumer culture and this like very fake artificial life while b- behind the scenes or far away. There's these like horrible things going on, you know, like she says in this one, it's like, she says like, well, Muslims stick up Washington. But if you were to think about it in like the context of like nine 11 or like the Iraq and like Afghanistan wars, like that's going on while people live these artificially and frivolous lives. So I guess that might be because knowing Joni, she would love a political moment. So I could see that being maybe the inspiration why she chose that song. Anyone else feel that way? I don't know. I was just thinking that, Uh, But I really, I really like this version a lot. I love the way she reads the lines, like, like the grand parade of cellulae jiggling to her golden pool. Also, there's like a rhythm where she's like, through fucking cupid colonnades. I don't know. I really recommend listening to it. It's really fun. And um, I do think that they should have been a little bit of like drums on here. I did, I did point that out, that drums would be nice, but it's very decorative. It's very musically fun. That's so basic to say. Musically exciting. How about that? And yeah, I really, really enjoy this. And it's a weird opener, but an opener that I can stand behind. So, <laughs> so yes, that is my that is my opinions on Otis and Marlena. The next song, 
uh, for this first half of the album is the first song from Hajira that she's going to rework, and that is Amelia. Ooh, yes. I love Amelia so much on like the Hajira version and the Shadows and Light version. God, I love the Shadows and Light version. It's so emotional and just, it's so good. And so I remember when I first was listening to this album, I'd already heard Hajira before this album, but this was the first time I had heard this version uh, when I first started listening to it back like two years ago. And I did not like this version at all. So I was kind of worried re-listening to it for this that I was going to hate it again. But I will say this. I actually do like this version. Um, I think that it's soft. And that's why I didn't originally like it. But I can appreciate that this is like a more mature and like relaxed approach to looking at the theme that Amelia is going over. Kind of that... You know, these themes about love. And this song actually holds the title of the album, uh, Then Your Life Becomes a Travelogue. Like, I think that this song is a good looking back on love and life. I know it sounds like both sides now, but it's not. Um, (laughs) But it works really well with an older person singing it, I think. I just don't know. I think that the problem for me with this one is the music. I think that it's too slow. And I think that they could have done a better... I think that there could have been a more interesting orchestral arrangement for this one like I prefer the original a lot more but this one still it still has like that same hauntingly beautiful quality that I like in Joni Mitchell's music um oh I was also going to say that when referring to like the title travelogue of this album is that uh Joni said in an interview actually around this time that if she hadn't named Hygiera Hygiera travelogue would have been a title that she could have used. And if she hadn't named this travelogue and Hygiera wasn't a title she had done before, she would have used it for this. So I guess that's this idea. Travelogue though works for me because it's almost like it's like a, it means like a kind of like a collection of your memories while traveling. And this is kind of like a collection of songs that are, you know, her memories while traveling through her career. So I think it's a really cool title. Um, and it comes from this song, Amelia, and uh, yeah, I, I like this version and it still is able to pull on my heartstrings. So as long as it pulls on my heartstrings, I'm OK with it. Because Amelia, like if it doesn't make you upset, then, you know, why are you listening to that song? It's supposed to always make you upset. And the way Joni sings this song is in a very soft, jazzy way, which I like. And uh, yeah, there's not too much to say about this Amelia version. It's definitely one of the ones that... If you were to ask me, like, which ones on here can I skip? I would say just listen to the original. If you're going to listen to any of the originals so far, I would do that. I know it's only song two, but <laughs> that's what I have to say. Okay, I'm kind of rushing through some of this stuff because there's 22 songs and I want to be able to get this not too long. So we'll move on to the next, which is the song You Dream Flat Tires. Yes, yeah, from Wild Things Run Fast. Yes. So a fair warning if you do not like Wild Things Run Fast, then Travelogue might not be for you <laughs> because Wild Things Run Fast literally is all over this album. Uh, at the end, I'm going to do a little kind of chart. I have a little chart that I did that shows how many songs from each album she chose to put on here. And Wild Things, I'll just let you know right now, wins. She does so many Wild Things songs on this. And here's why I think she did. Because I think Wild Things is like the hidden album between two very different and monumental albums in her career. It's between Mingus, which was her biggest step into a completely new genre, which was like that jazz kind of, I don't even know, like jazz fusion sound. Then we have After Wild Things was Doggy Dog, which was her jump into a completely new synth sound and like a pop sound. So in between that, we have kind of the more understated wild things, which I think really didn't get as much love as it should have. And so I think Joni was like, I'm going to go back in and see how these songs work with a more jazz kind of symphony sound to it. Because a lot of the songs on the original album of wild things are very jazzy, but they work a lot better on here, in my opinion, than they do on the actual Wild Things album, which I like. Don't get me wrong, but I like a lot of the versions here better. We start with You Dream Flat Tires, and I like this one a lot. I think it was a really, really well done rearrangement. Like, there's just a really fun quality to it that I feel like gets lost sometimes in the original. I also don't like in the original, like, the Lionel Richie 
like singing with her. I like here doing it herself. Like the woman, she bounced back easy. Like I like her singing it better. And like the drumming on this one is really, really good. Like very fun drumming. And uh, also there's like a jazz organ on here. I don't know if Herbie played it for this, but there is like a literal like jazz organ playing in the background of some of the parts of this song, which are like very fun. And it has like almost like a vintage quality. Like you could hear this playing in like the 40s or 50s at like a, a bar or something. I don't know. I don't really know what happened in the 40s and 50s. You, If anyone's old enough to remember that, I don't think you are, but... <laughs> And I just, I don't know, some of the way she reads some of these lines are so fun and flirty. Like, I know that you love me, but what are you gonna let love be? I don't know, I'm trying to do my older Joni Mitchell voice. <laughs> it's hard to do, it's all the way down here. And uh, yeah, I think that I think that overall, I do like this version better. And I was gonna say, I never realized how flirty this song was until I heard this version, because this is like the sassier, flirtier version. Like she's, the way she's reading the lines is in a lot more flirt flirtatious of a way. Because on Wild Things, it's like, it's so rock that you're more focused on like the rock intense music than you are on the lyrics of it. Where here, the lyrics get more of a chance to shine, which I like. Oh my God, that word shine is gonna come up next week, but uh. Stay tuned for that. Anyways, um, but yeah, I, I think that this is a, a pretty, pretty good reworking of such a completely different sound that was on Wild Things. Like taking that rock jazz and making this into like a symphonic jazz was very, seems like it would be very complicated to do, but it works really, really well here. So yes, I really like You Dream Flat Tires from Wild Things. So another Wild Things, here we go. Because like I said, Wild Things is all over this album. We have the song love Ooh. or corinthians uh is it corinthians 19 1 or 19 i don't know but another wild thing song this song is completely different as well uh not different in my favorite way i know i said i liked a lot of the wild things reworkings better but this is probably the one that i like the least i love the version i love the version love on the original album i i really like that one so so much and the one here is a lot more soft and almost, like, sad. Like, it completely changes the mood of the original album. Like, it starts off very soft and sad. And there's, like, little bells, kind of, that you can hear throughout the song. And I don't know. Like, the way she even sings it, like, when she's like, I'm just sounding brass. Like, you hear, like, a... I don't know if it's her sick because she was sick recording, but like she just sounds kind of tired. Like I'm sounding brass and tinkling cymbals without love. And it's just very like uh, somber and relaxed. And it's like, I don't know, maybe it's just, she's looking at love in a more retrospective way. So she's not as intense about it. Cause love in the moment is a lot more tense than, you know, in retrospect, but I don't know, like some of the things I just, they're just things on the song that I wish could hit harder. Like I think about the original version, how at the end it's like an of these great things, love's the greatest beauty. And then the drums are like, boom, boom, love. And it like beats out. But here it's just like, she's just like, love, love. Like it's so soft. And you're like, come on girl, turn it up. Like let's get intense here. But I guess not. I don't know. <laughs> she just tones down the passion of of this song, which I, I just don't appreciate as much. I don't know. I like the passion on the original a lot. So, but yeah, I guess she really liked this song from Wild Things, even though this really wasn't a song that I feel like she performed a lot when she was doing the Wild Things material during the 80s. Like, there's videos of her doing a lot of the other ones in the album, but this is not one that I've seen a lot of stuff of. So I guess maybe that's another reason why she wanted to do it, because she's like, no one even like knows this song exists. I did, Joni. I knew this song existed. This, oh, I, oh, I had heard this song first, by the way, then I had heard it on the album. I heard this before I heard it on Wild Things. So you can, as you can see, my <laughs> perspective of these songs is very weird because I was going from this to the original to... Yeah, it's all over the place. So speaking of all over the place, great transition. We go to the song that won Vincent Mendoza a Grammy, but I am not really sure why. We have uh, from Ladies of the Canyon, one of Joni's most famous songs, Woodstock. Ooh. So I know you're probably asking, Ryan, why do you hate this version of Woodstock so much? Hate is a strong word, but I don't like it. And this is why. <laughs> because it just like... For me, the song Woodstock is a song of a yearning, an intense yearning and emotion to this concept of getting back to the garden, this concept of getting to a different place than where we are today, getting back to uh, kind of like the genesis of the human race. 
And that is such a, a powerful statement. And the festival Woodstock was such a powerful movement in the United States. I mean, obviously I wasn't alive, but from everything I've ever read about Woodstock is how much of an impact it had. And so the version on Ladies of the Canyon for me, or like even the version on Shadows and Light, there there's a intense like emotion and seriousness to them about this concept of getting back to the garden and being stardust and golden. Like, I don't know, those qualities, I feel like that passion, just like on the song Love, gets lost here. And it's a lot more relaxed. And I do like the rhythm that there's added. Like, there's a lot more of, like, a rhythmic feeling to this one, which I like. And I'm sure, I think Brian Blade probably was the one doing the drumming on here. And, like, Joni obviously sings it in a more jazz style. But it's just, it doesn't impact me the way like listening to the original or to the shadows and light one does it. There's just something different. Like this one is more like of a, like a haunting, like slow sound, almost like doomsday in its sense. Like, whereas the other ones are a lot more kind of, there's a feeling of inspiration, but also desperation to get back to a more peaceful time, I guess. And, uh, I do like the way she says, she goes a uh, round and round and round. She kind of does a lot of those on this one where she like adds a little, little bit of flair. But uh, yeah, I don't know. This song just kind of drags for me without much payoff. And it's just comparing it to the original. It's just not, they're just not on the same comparison in my opinion. But you know, that's just me. So I will, <laughs> I will keep that opinion to myself. But yeah, there's just, I don't know, there's just not too much to say about Woodstock. It's just really not a standout for me on this album. But congrats, Vince, on winning the Grammy for it. Uh, why didn't Joni win a Grammy for anything on here? That That's sexism at its finest, I guess. I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> I'm just going to say that. So, speaking of Haunting and Doomsday, why don't we go into the real Haunting and Doomsday song of this album, which is Slouching Towards Bethlehem from Night Ride Home. Now... This is a rearrangement that is dark and basically listening to it sounds like the world is ending actually, <laughs> because if you've never heard this version, you need to like, before you listen to it, you need to just like sit down and like make sure your headphones aren't up too loud because it gets like crazy. Like the drums, the like brass on this song, they almost sound like they're like the sirens of like the end of the world. You know, like how like images from like the bible talk about like the end of the world like angels with like trumpets will be like coming from the sky that's what this song feels like and like there's these like drums are like gong like they make these like large sounds and there's a chorus of men singing like behind her i mean it's crazy it's it's pure chaos actually if i if i could say but i kind of like it <laughs> i actually don't i don't hate this version a lot i think it's interesting um, the way she sings it, because maybe as Joni's growing older, she's feeling like the world's falling apart more and more. I mean, I guess we'll see that on Shine, but maybe that's why this song feels more urgent and more doomsday-y. I don't know, I guess maybe post 9-11 also that adds to it, but yeah. Some really cool things that I like on this one, though. I really like the way the music interacts with the lyrics. That happens on a few of these songs, and on here, one of the lyrics, she goes like, things fall apart, and then all of a sudden there's like a giant drum sound. It's like things fall apart, dong. And like a drum just like bangs and it's like, oh, so I think things are falling apart. And then like the music slowly like comes in. Like there's a music and a rhythm that slowly like moves in, which is fun. I like that. Uh, some negatives of this song. This is one where Joni, your voice does, I'm not sure. Like mother was really reaching for some of these notes. Like, any part where she's doing like the head of a man, shape of a lion. She really, on the man line, she's like, Ugh. like really, I'm, I'm like worried for her throat. I'm like, girl, you're straining. But, um, you know, that's really my only negative to this song because everything else I think is pretty interesting. And it's, I mean, for what it's trying to come off as, it's like a war doomsday sort of sound. I think it accomplishes that really well. And I, like this version a lot. Not as much as the Night Ride Home version, but still good. And it ends with literally like a war drum sound. It's like, and you know, I don't know. I guess it's supposed to be representing the war. Oh my gosh, do you want to just realize, speaking of war, I was going to, in like America, I was going to say that at the end of Otis and Merlena, they do um, like, like, oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? They play that at the end on the trumpet. I should have said that earlier. Yeah, but 
I was going to add that. So there's that <laughs> side note right there. Okay. So yeah, Slouching Doors Bethlehem. Interesting. I don't want to linger on it too long because there's still a lot more songs to get through. The next one, though, is a song that I heard for the first time on here and then slowly immersed myself in on the original, which is Judgment of the Moon and Stars, your, or Ludwig's tune, Ludwig's tune from For the Roses, yeah. So this one, I think like, <laughs> I think like the music director said, Joni, how Baroque do you want to make this song? And she just said, yes, <laughs> because <laughs> this one is so so different from the original version it is grand it is orchestral it is like so lush and filled with orchestration that it's like almost a lot to take in i guess it's because this song is obviously based on like beethoven it's about beethoven so you know she wanted to get that symphonic quality as much as possible and she she accomplishes that <laughs> because it is like it's just so extravagant in the way it sounds i don't know and i love the way she sings it it's, she sings this one in such a fun way that's why i liked it so much when i heard it on here and then when i listened to the original i was like oh hmm, i don't this is less intense but here she's like i love the way she's like and the fish wise yeah like there's like those little jazz phrasings like i talk about or also when she does like it's the judgment of the moon and stars and the music is like bah! like there's so much going on which i love i don't know, like it transforms me or transports me back to like an 1800s like symphony hall and it's just it's very fun and there's a live version of her doing it um on the tour that she did with this album with like a full symphony behind her and it's it, it's fun to listen to i don't know and some of the, like the way she sings you're like wow she's really going for it like a like when she does like the hey 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 hey, hey she really she reaches in some of that part but you know that's not a problem because I like this song overall and I like the middle orchestral break that happens because on the original song, it's obviously all like piano, but here, you know, it works really well because you have that symphony. So it sounds even more like Beethoven-y and yeah, I don't know. The emotional of this song still makes me really, uh, the, the emotional, the end of this song still makes me very emotional because for me, her singing this years later, this song specifically has so much more resonance because since For the Roses, her, like, outcasting criticism has only gotten worse, but she's managed to power through and, like, shake her fists like lightning and roar like forest fire. You know what I mean? Like, she she has continued on, even with the judgment of the moon and the stars, and it just, there's something very impactful when you think about that, that, like, she's still managed to work continuously and be creative since the time before the roses were like she had already felt like she was being outcasted by the music industry you know so i think it's very interesting um i don't know if i like this version better or not i feel like this version and the for the roses version for me are actually at par i know that's probably controversial but i really like both of the versions a lot like the for the roses one is a lot more chill and this one's a lot more dramatic but i'm a gay man so i like drama sometimes <laughs> And I don't mind the drama of of this one. So, yeah, I, I am a Judgment of the Moon and Stars travelogue stan. Hopefully hopefully everyone else is as well because it's, it's a good time. I don't know. <laughs> so, moving on from that, we have uh, the first of, uh, I think, two or three Turbulent Indigo tracks reimagined, which is The Sire of Sorrow. Ooh, what a interesting choice. Now... I'm realizing now she does pick, she's picking a lot of these like ending songs of the album. We have Love, we have Judgment of the Moon and Stars, now we have The Sire of Sorrow. I think that there's another album closer on here as well, right? Am I, Refuge of the Roads is on here, that's an album closer, the last time I saw Richard, The Circle Game, she adds all, she's doing all the album closers on this one, I guess. I guess those are like the, the big, the big big mammoths i don't know what is like the big epitomes of her career i don't know guys i'm running on not a lot of sleep so i'm probably sounding a little little psycho today but that's all right so this version of the sire of sorrow i have to say i am not a fan of and i really don't have any reason to not like it it's just like almost any other track on this album i just don't for some reason i'm just very attached to the original and i don't know i don't like the chorus boys here like doing like the background parts like that are supposed to be like the man is the sire of sorrow like i wish joni would have just like cut herself in and done those parts as well because i really don't like these like chorus of men 
singing with her sometimes and it just sounds it sounds weird on this one they are singing so low and it's just like i don't know i am endeared though by some of the ways she sings some of the lines like at the beginning she's like let me speak let me spit let me and like listen to the way she sings it like let me spit out my bitterness when she sings that you can hear like a crack almost like it's like she's emotional about it and it's probably just her being sick but i really like that also at the end she does like this like oh where is hope like this like almost angry like upsetness that is really works really well with this song because this song is just such a a powerful statement about being upset and angry about having bad things happen to you and you're not sure why it's like it works well with it but overall it's just a lot more of a soft version of this song uh, that I'm not sure I I love so much. And sometimes, like, the orchestra, like, has moments where you're just like, I don't know if you need to be doing all that for this. Like, let the words speak for themselves here. And let Joni sing them, not a chorus boy in the background doing it. So, yeah, that's a little bit of a harsh opinion, but I don't know. It's just not my favorite, so... But I'll move on to one that I really like, <laughs> which is the second For the Roses redo uh, for, from For the Roses entitled For the Roses because, you know, mother loves that. Um, this version to me is super good. I love this version a lot. It's very cinematic. This is one of those ones where I was talking about, like, it sounds like it could be from a movie. Excuse me. And this is definitely one of them. Like the opening is very tense and it's very dark. And you feel like you're in like a forest or something like that. You feel like you're running for the roses. And then it like builds in. And this and this song is very soft, which I know I was like criticizing for other ones, but it works really well here because the words really stand out. Like they really stand out. And um, oh my gosh, I was going to say Wayne Shorter on this song. Wayne fucking Shorter kills it here. I'm going to say that on a few tracks coming up but this one specifically he like he turns it out (laughs) he does an amazing job and like i had said on judgment of the moon and stars her singing this song like 30 years later it just it like resonates so well because i said like taming the tiger was basically for the roses 2.0 and this is i mean these lines work so well with her with the way i think she's felt her whole career like the cycle of being like adored into being hated and like people think she's like ungrateful for not just taking the success that she has and always complaining. Like, I guess I seem ungrateful with my teeth sunk in the hand. Like, I don't know. I just think that the way that this song is arranged is so well. And this, this is one of the ones I think should have, I think this could have won the Grammy instead of Woodstock personally, but I don't know. I just like it a lot. And also, oh my gosh, there's a part of that song where it's like on your mark, red ribbon runner and all of a sudden you just hear like boom (laughs) it's very exciting i like it a lot and uh yeah i i really enjoy this version and the ending basically is just like a section for wayne to kind of show off a little bit and also it like tricks you into thinking it's gonna like fade out and then the orchestra comes back in for one final build and like sweeps in it's it's really really thrilling to hear and yeah, I like this. I like this song a lot. I like, or this version, I should say, a lot. And uh, I highly recommend it. It's very dark, but it's very, it works really well with the dark themes of that song about, you know, fame and the price of fame and all those sort of, all those sort of things. So, uh, yeah, on to another song that's kind of about being famous in a way or the, being someone that's an outcast in a famous world. We have the first Court and Spark rearrangement which is the song Troubled Child, Breaking Like the Waves of Malibu. <laughs> so I would say that it's very interesting to pick a song from Court and Spark to cover here because there's a lot of stakes that come from picking a song from your most successful album. Court and Spark, especially at this point, I mean, now people would probably say Blue, but at this point in her career, Court and Spark was still known as her most commercially successful album. And so I think covering a song from it is like, you know, it's a very daunting task because people are clearly very tied to the originals. But I really like this version. I I might like it a little bit more than the original, actually. Both are really good, but I really, really enjoy it because there's like a a jazzy and like rhythmic quality to it. That's really fun. 
And I like the way she like sings it in a comical style because some of the lyrics on this song are just so funny. Like the peacock is afraid to parade. You're under the thumb of the maid. Like it's very, it's very different than the Court and Spark version. But you can like see that if that album had stayed in the jazz direction that Joni was going on it, it would have led to something like this. And I guess, I guess it did lead to something like this. So I, I enjoy it a lot. And I think that it's just very fun to hear like a song from Court and Spark because you don't really think of that album like being done any other way than how good it's done on the original. But I really like it here. And cause I, I don't know. I feel like on the original it kind of gets overshadowed by the big names. So it's fun to hear it, see it here and kind of stand out on its own a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I don't have too much to say about it, but Trouble Child is a, it's a good rearranging of it. The next rearranging, which is the end of side one of this album, we have God Must Be a Boogeyman from Mingus. Yes, sadly, the only Mingus song re redone here. I wish we could have gotten another one because I just love the Mingus album so much because I just, I like to be different, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, I really, really like this version as well. It's very soft and playful, just like the original song itself. And Wayne obviously really gets to shine on this one. I think because this song is so jazz-based to begin with, it works really well on this album, of course, because it's, you know, this album caters to that sound. I don't mind the chorus boys singing on this one because obviously they're required because that song is you know has a full chorus of people singing god must be a boogeyman so i don't mind it here like i did on the sire of sorrow and yeah i just really like the way she sings this song it's you honestly this is one where i feel like i can definitely see like the billy holiday style like when i hear like the part where she's like why'd you let him talk him down to cheap work and cheap thrills it sounds kind of like billy holiday singing i don't know there's some something there that i'm seeing and also there's like an addition of like laughing in the background of this song. Like you hear like people laughing and it's, it works really well for me because it, it has that like unfinished and kind of like just very casual quality that like the Mingus album has. And obviously like the laughing also kind of feels like it's like Charles, like listening to the song from up above and like laughing at the song itself because Joni always said that like Charles would have found the song very, very funny. Like, because this song is very funny. I mean, like, in the plan, the cockeyed plan, God must be a boogeyman. Like, there's just something very, very comical about it. And I I, I don't know, the laughing aspects that were added were fun. Uh, I was going to say that between this and the original, I think I still like the original more because obviously that one has Jocko on it. And anything with Jocko, I will probably always lean towards. But that being said... It's a very good version, and this is a very good way to end, you know, side one of this album. A very fun song, very, you know, chill, chill moment, um, because we're about to move into a lot more, a lot more darker songs. Well, I don't know if dark is the word, but dramatic songs um, on the second half. So, yes, that is the end of side one. And now we will move. Everyone take a, take a drink break, a snack break, because <laughs> we got a whole nother 11 coming up of songs on side two starting with another wild things one sorry wild things haters she has another one on you which is be cool don't be all uncool any housewives fans out here (laughs) don't be all uncool be cool yeah so i have a very fast i know that this podcast is already going to be very long but i have a very fast funny story about the song be cool is that one time when I was driving about a month ago and I was listening to this album, I think I had clicked on just like one of the songs and I just started listening to it. Be Cool came on. And as Be Cool came on, I started having a cop follow me because uh, I think I was speeding a little bit, but I slowed down very fast. And then it started like it was behind me the whole time that this song was going on. And I was just like in my head, I was like, OK, be cool. And it was just listening to Joni like be cool and i was like okay please i need to keep this keep this cool energy so uh that is kind of you know that's kind of the vibe that's going on there (laughs) but pertaining to the actual song (laughs) not that story i do like this version a lot it's very good very very interesting starting the way it like starts is very interesting and then there's just a very fun i'm going to say the word again drink every time i say it rhythm being played here 
I do miss the chorus, the little chorus in the background doing like the fire and ice, fire and ice. But one of the things that makes up for that for me on this one is the piano bits that are on here. Like there's a really good piano. I'm sure it's Herbie playing and it's, it's really, really good. And yeah, I, it's very, it's a, to quote the song title itself, it's a very cool and easy version of this song. And I'm, I'm sure she picked it because not many people know this song because I don't know if she ever did this song live. So, you know, this was her chance to give it a second, a second trial and it works well for me. I really enjoy it. It's very, very fun and jazzy and cool. So yeah, not much to say. The next song is a song that Joni definitely fucking loves because she sings it all the goddamn time. We have Just Like This Train from Court and Spark. Yes. So this is the second Court and Spark track. And this one is a complete 360 from the original as 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 is Trouble Child. It's like lush and there's drums. And also the drums are doing a rhythm that is like a train. I don't know if anyone noticed this before, but the drums are like, are like they're like... Like almost like a train revving on the tracks, which is such a fun little like clever thing to put in. Um, it's so interesting, like hearing all the versions that she does of just like this train throughout her career from like the original to like the solo guitar version to this to the version she does now where she just does it on guitar uh, like she did at like the gorge over the summer. Like she just loves this song so much, I guess. And it's very well done here. Like Wayne does a great addition on this one. And I really like it. I prefer like the version of Joni in the 90s doing it where it's just her and her electric guitar. I like that one a lot. But uh, this one's really good. And I like the way she, she says like the sour grapes. I lost my heart. And it's it's a very fun changing of this very, very good song. I don't know. Some of these, it's just like, it's a really good version of the other one. So you know, it's like, that's it. So uh, that's kind of how I feel about this one. Also the same about the next one that we're going to talk about, which is Sex Kills. So we have another Turbulent Indigo one, another Turbulent Indigo rearranging, even though this one really isn't a rearranging because it's basically just the same music as the original, except with a symphony instead of a guitar. Uh, Like they're doing the same kind of sound style. The only thing that's different here really is the drums are a lot more intense. There's a lot more of a drama here, kind of like on Slouching Towards Bethlehem. Like there's a lot of drums playing like, dun, 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 dun. like they're really getting along with the music. The brass on this song is very intense, almost a little overpowering, but it's, it's good. I, I like it. And, uh, I really couldn't tell. I know a lot of critics critique with this album as you could tell how old Joni's voice was, but listening to this and the original, I did not hear much of a difference. It's pretty, pretty much the same. And also Joni at the end really belts that final sex kills. Like she sex kills. Like she really goes in for it. Like given that dramatic ending. So yeah, I mean, I think that the themes of sex kills works really well always so I can see why she put it in again I think she really likes this song a lot too she did this at Gorge the past summer too I think I think this is another one of her favorites as you'll see on this second half of the album I think these are all songs that she really really likes so makes sense makes sense so now to a song I really like is Refuge of the Roads from Hygiera so I, oh my God, I, people are going to hate me when I say this. Like people are literally going to hate me because Hygiera is my, is my favorite Joni Mitchell album. I've said that a million times, but I kind of like this one better than the original, maybe just a little bit. I don't know. I I think I like this more than the original, but I like it less than the version she does in the nineties. That's just on acoustic guitar. I think I like that one the best, but this one, I think I like more than the original. I know I'm going to get so much hate for that, but I don't care. I like it a lot. The intro, it like pulls on my heartstrings. Okay. Cause like the way it starts with the intro with the harp playing the guitar part, you guys have to hear it's like so angelic. Like it's just like, I like I love it so much I might maybe I'll open the episode to it it's so good and like the harp takes over for the guitar on this and it's just an amazing choice like this arrangement is so beautiful and I love the way Joni sings it like it just the this whole song captures like that windswept feeling on Ajira so well and 
I just love it so much. And like the way she sings, like the lines, you just feel this like this power, like shine on your witness, taking refuge in the roads. Like you feel that. I guess maybe it's because she's older. There's more depth to be able to sing those lines. I don't know. Also, there's a lot of like jazz phrasings on the lines like turn, turn, turn or coming back from the moon. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know. I just like to point those out. They're fun. And like there's like a final build too, like taking refuge and like builds butter. It's like a plane getting off landing and then it's like of oh, the roads and finally like relaxes out. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful version of this song. Uh, Vince Mendoza did a great job rearranging it. And yeah, I, I really, really like it. So now we have another follow up Hygiera track after, which is the title track Hygiera, um, the last Hygiera song redone on this album and this like this version is a lot like the version if you've ever seen Joni do uh look up like Joni Mitchell all-stars Herbie Hancock because you'll see a version of that song done where it's very there's like a a fast pace to it and I think there's like congas added to create this nice rhythm to it where it's like it's like I'm traveling in some vehicle and there's like a drums like kind of like leading on where it's a lot faster. The All-Stars version with Herbie Hancock is very fast, but the one here has a lot more like the congas really stand out and give it this like really cool effect of like the song being a lot faster. And it's almost like you feel that like traveling and moving sense like while the song's going because it's like faster, you know, like like you're in like a car or something. And I just I love it. And I love the way it starts with these strings that almost sound like wind, but then they build into like the like congas and the drums. It's, it's really cool. And I, Joni loves this song, obviously like she's always sang this song throughout her career as well. So I can totally see why she picked it. And I, I just, it was a great choice. I really, really like the version done on here, especially because of the way the like congas come in. I'm a sucker for any time those come in on Joni music. And oh my gosh, the part where she's like, listen, Sounds like Benny Goodman floating through the snowy trees. And then all of a sudden they have like these like trumpets in the back that literally are like, I don't know if they're playing an actual Benny Goodman song. It just makes me think of like the trumpet solo from uh, Sing Sing Sing, the Benny Goodman song, which was just like a fun little insert that I like. And another part that I really like on this song is how she does the O's in between each verse. Like the part where she's like, oh, boom, ba dun dun boom, ba dun There's just a lot of, it's it's impactful. I don't know. I can't I can't describe it. You just have to hear it for yourself. Um, I like the original better than this one, but I like this one a lot. So yeah, there's a little Hygiera duo right there of Refuge of the Roads and Hygiera itself. Very very fun. But now, sorry, Wild Things. We have the okay. It's the final one. The final Wild Things reimagining, and this one is of Chinese Cafe Unchained Melody, which talk about like. A song having a lot more meaning in a second, like, you know, doing it later in life because holy shit, do these words have a lot more meaning now. Um, Joni has never liked the way she sang this song. I heard her say this in an interview. She doesn't like the way she sings the song because she thinks that like it sounds like it needs like a character voice, but Joni can't, you know, get that. But I like the way she sings it. I don't know. I like the way she sings it in the original too, but Besides that, some of the words here, like the line, obviously, my child's a stranger, I bore her, but I could not raise her. Obviously, that line means a completely different thing at that point than it did when she sang it in the 80s because she's been reunited with her daughter at this point. Also, the lines like nothing lasts for long. Like think about this. She's about to retire. So like her career, uh, her marriage with Larry, that ended. Uh, her being apart from her daughter, that ended. Um she talks about like, you know, obviously like the second part of the song talks about like the environment that that whole paradise completely is being, you know, nothing lasts for long. Like that line hits even harder. It's just like the words in this one hit hit very differently as she's like grown older for some reason. Like the music is not very different, so that's not really much to talk about, but it's the way she sings it and the the resonance of the words being sung. Like the like that final I need your love is just so pure and wholesome for me and and I don't know, I really like it. Also, they uh they do these little bells when it's like Christmas is sparkling out on Carol's lawn. There's like little bells in the background that are very, very sweet that I like a lot. And uh yeah, she ends the song saying, Where does the time go? And it's like that works so well because she's, you know, about to retire, or so she thinks. 
and like she's older and just like where does the time go it's kind of how I feel about this podcast I'm like where did the time go I feel like I was just I was just on song to a seagull or something but no we're old now and we've seen a lot of we've looked at life from both sides I guess I don't know so (laughs) moving on from Chinese cafe we have probably the darkest song on this entire album which is another night ride home rearrangement and it is Cherokee Louise so this version of Cherokee Louise is like it's just absolutely gut-wrenching like I like the one on Night Ride Home a lot, but this one, just the tone and the music is so dark and haunting. And there's this like, there's so much sadness. And it's like Cherokee Louise on Night Ride Home kind of sounds like Joni just recalling a story from her past about this girl that kind of has been lost, you know, to time. But here, like, it feels like a dooming real story. I mean, I know it's a real story, but it feels even more real here about like a sexually abused child, like it is so dark and the way Joni sings it is so distraught. Like she has this, there's this anguish and sadness in her voice. That's like, she's, she's like realizing the gravity of the situation. Like God, she can't even come to our house or like the line about like, he opens up his zipper and he yanks her to her knees. Oh, please be there, please. Like there's so much more pleading and begging and sadness into like just wanting her, her friend to be safe. And it's just, it's so dark and it's it's very haunting like i i truly don't i truly don't know like how any version could beat this i don't know i just i think it's probably the best like and brian blade does like a soft drumming on it as well which i really like and obviously like wayne comes in which is interesting because wayne is on the original version of this song as well but he like kind of gets to change it up i guess but god yeah this song is This is a haunting version. I highly recommend, if you're going to listen to any version of this song, do the travelogue version, because it's just, it pulls the gravity of the song a lot better, in my opinion. So, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my personal, personal thoughts on it. So, uh, yeah, Cherokee Louise, very, very dark. It's just, it's very good, though. I really like it a lot. Um, Another one that I seem to enjoy is the Dawn Treater from... Or Don Don Reader, Don Reader. I don't know. It's I've never known how to pronounce it. From Song to a Seagull. <laughs> Going back all the way to the 60, 68, 69 when that was released. God, the first episode, Song to a Seagull. We have Joni singing a song from that, which to me was so surprising that she added a song from that long ago. And she does it in the same fucking key as she should. Um, some of the notes she's reaching. Okay, a lot of the notes she's reaching, but I don't mind it. I like it. I like hearing her. Like, if you listen to the original version and then listen to this, you're like, oh my god, it is so different. Like, her voice in general, you're just like, oh wow. But this one has, like, a new vibe to it that is very interesting. And, like, I think the strings work really well with, like, the cinematic quality and, like, the dream quality that this song has. Like, this song has always felt like kind of like an oceanic, like, dream. So it works well, like, with these these lyrics, I guess. Um, I like the original better, obviously, but this one's interesting. I don't mind it. And, uh, I just think it's very surprising. I don't know. I don't, I just, I wouldn't have expected her out of all the songs to choose one from song to a sequel, but I guess she probably was like, you know what? Why don't I give that album a chance? Cause she literally never talks about any of the songs on that, like throughout her career. Like I literally never hear her talk about like Michael for mountains or I had a King. Like she never talks about those ones. So I think it's interesting to hear. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's all I have to say about Don Reader. Don Redder. Don Reader. I don't know. The next one after that is The Last Time I Saw Richard from Blue. Shockingly, the only Blue song on this album, actually, which is very surprising. I would have expected her to at least do another one, but I guess she did a case of you on the last, so it kind of counts as two, I guess. Uh, I like this version. I think, though, that the original version for me has, kind of like we were talking about some of the earlier songs, has a lot more passion with it. Like, it's interesting to hear her do it older because it works well, like, with this quality of, like, two lovers, like, being, like, grown and meeting one more time to discuss everything they've gone through since, you know, the breakup. Like, it, you get that, that quality works well, but I just don't really like the music with it. Like, I prefer just the solo piano. For some reason, that is more impactful than this whole orchestra that's very soft and quiet. And, like, 
I don't know. It's not, it's just not my favorite. I do, I love that she has now turned the barmaid though, which in the original is like, drink up now, it's getting on time to close, to now the barmaid is like more mature and she's like, drink up now, it's getting on time to close. <laughs> like, it's a lot. She just changes that vibe completely. Or when she's like, fishnet sucking's in a boat tie and she said, drink up now, it's getting on time to close. It's very, I just like the way she does that part of the song, but that's really the only standouts for me of this actual track. It's not very, not very interesting besides, you know, I mean, it's not bad, obviously, but it's just not the most amazing version of this song that I've heard. I think I'm just very attached to the blue version. So that's probably why, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much to say about it. I also don't have much to say. I don't really have much to say about any of these final tracks, but I'll give them my best shot. We have, a uh, the penultimate track borderline from turbulent indigo. And I guess she probably chose this as like the final warning or message for where society is going. Like, she's like, you know what? I'm going to retire and I'm going to give them this song because we are on the borderline of social collapse at this point. And so the sound here is a lot more heavy and a lot more ominous, especially because of the strings. But I like it. I like it. And like there's, you know, drink a rhythm (laughs) at it. Which I enjoy. But her voice here is very similar to the Turbulent Indigo one. The key is the same. And I don't know. There's just like not not a lot to say because it's pretty true to the Turbulent Indigo version. So there's not like much much difference to it. So uh, yeah, I like this version, but I like the original better. And uh, yeah, I don't think I have much else to say besides that. Sorry, Borderline. You didn't get much love, but there's not much. So <laughs> to close this album and... In her mind, to close her career, Joni picked her last song to be The Circle Game from Ladies of the Canyon. Aw, what a beautiful, beautiful song. One of Joni's most popular songs, I would say. A perfect choice, I think, to end the album and to end her assumed career at this point, even though it's really not the end of her career. But, you know, she'll tell herself that for a few years. (laughs) And honestly, this version to me is almost, it sounds almost like a, very softly sung like poem or something about like growing up like underscored by a quiet symphony which I really I like it a lot I think it's a very nice version of this song like it's not my favorite version but it seems to work well here with the symphony and with Wayne and things like that and I mean like that lyric about being captive on the carousel of time is like there's just so much resonance to it as you age and for her to sing it at that point or her even to sing it now, you know, Brandy's always having her sing it now, which I am not even going to start with, whatever. Like there's a lot of resonance to that line, you know, captive on the carousel of time. We can only carousel, carousel of time. We can only look from behind where we came and go round and round in the circle game, you know, life moving on. Joni's getting older at this point. I mean, especially now, but it's it's a good version, and uh, I think it's, for what it's worth, it's a great ending song to this album. So, uh, yeah, there's not too much to say. It's just her singing it in a slower and lower key. Besides that, there's not too much uh, too much going on, but it's, it's good. It's a good closer. So that is The Circle Game, and that in total is the album Travelogue. Whew. That was a long one. <laughs> so sorry for how long that was, but you know what, guys? Joni wanted me to suffer by making this 22 tracks long, but I could have, I would have been happy listening to another, another one or two more rearrangements like Coyote or something different. So I, I, I don't mind it. And, uh, as I said, I was going to do a little overarching of how many songs each album got at the end. So coming off as our lowest tracked albums that did not get any, rearrangings at all we have at zero songs clouds hissing of summer lawns tragedy dog eat dog tragedy chalk mark in a rainstorm oh i miss her and taming the tiger well so those songs all did not get any rearrangings on this album sad emoji about all of that um songs that got one rearranging were song to a seagull blue very surprising blue only got one don mon's reckless daughter Mingus, which which Dalmans and Mingus got another one. And uh, yeah, those were the ones that got one. Albums that got two rearrangings, <laughs> I hope this is helpful, were Ladies of the Canyon, For the Roses, Court and Spark, and Night Ride Home. All very, very solid albums. But the songs that were chosen were surprising. And albums that got three 
were Hygiera and Turbulent Indigo. Two albums I think Joni really likes and two very, very well done albums. So works for me. And shockingly, the most redone with four songs redone was Wild Things Run Fast. Who would have fucking thought Wild Things Run Fast would have been the most rearranged? But I guess Joni wanted to give that album a second life here, which she did successfully. I liked it a lot. So now to the rating section of this album. I am about to make everyone mad and give this album a 9 out of 10. Ha ha ha. Because I like this album a lot. I think that there's some parts where it drags, but overall for being just her rearranging songs into a symphony, like her older songs into a symphony, I think it works really well. And I think people who hate it are just Joni haters and they have no room or grounds to speak on her. How about that? Yeah. (laughs) My favorite song on this one is Refuge of the Roads. Of course. I just, I love that one so, so much. Uh, but if I were to pick like my favorite rearranging or the most interesting rearranging, that's a better part. Like I, Refuge of the Roads is my favorite to listen to, but the most interesting rearranging for me is Otis and Marlena. Actually, I think that that was the most interesting rearrangement that or Judgment of the Moon and Stars are both very, very interestingly redone. Oh, I also like Cherokee Louise a lot too. Oh, yeah, I think Refuge of the Roads, though, is still my favorite. Cherokee Louise is too sad. <laughs> uh, my least favorite is Woodstock because, yeah, or Borderline. Those two kind of borderline borderlines on being my least favorite as well. <laughs> so, uh, yes, that is Travelogue. Gosh, I I cannot believe that we only have one more fucking album left after this with Shine. And then we have the final episode, which will be... Uh, a very interesting one. I don't know if I've already said, I guess I can say now cause I already know what I'm going to do, but it's basically just going to be, uh, be me going over kind of, uh, everything post shine. I'm going to do like a little recap and then I'm going to give my final overall Joni album ranking, which I know everyone always asks me, what is your Joni album ranking? And I've been holding it off because I want to, I want to give it on the final episode after re-listening to all the albums and discussing them and going over. I think it'd be fun to do. So uh, that will be a part of the last episode as well. Um, But yeah, so next episode will be Shine. And then that is it for, or that is the last, last album. But it was really fun to go over Travelogue. It's very, very underrated. uh, And it was, you know, so low selling, but I highly recommend listening to it. If you want to hear Joni songs in a different form, this is a great, a great album to go to. But um, yes, thank you all so much for listening. And I will see you all next episode on Shine. Yes, thank you.